I would think every one of us can remember one of the last occasions we had to be with someone we loved. Maybe it was something that we were doing. Maybe it was something the individual said. But each one of us has memories of a loved one who is no longer with each one, you or me, whichever the case may be. And yet how well we can remember some of the final statements or the events that took place. In the same way, it's obvious that the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, well remembered some of the things that Jesus had to say in what we remember as the Upper Room Discourse and the Last Supper. As we prepare to remember our wonderful Lord in the elements that he's given to us, the bread which represents his body which was given for us, and the cup which is remembrance of the new covenant and the new covenant in his blood which he secured for us, John records in his gospel that upper room discourse and the events and statements associated with it. In John chapter 15, Jesus made a statement that to me ties in with both remembering our Savior in the table of the Lord, as well as the sweet hour of prayer that is so important for us where Jesus said in chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. No greater love has anyone than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. This is my commandment, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. 
But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Ask whatever you will, and it'll be done for you. And we see the regulation, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And the sad reality is very often people have looked at John chapter 15 as a conditional circumstance for certain of God's people to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. But nothing could be farther from the truth. What Jesus is talking about here is the distinction between a genuine child of God and individuals who are still of the world. He has made it very clear, as he said in verse uh, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now one of the themes that John brings out in this gospel is the fact that his word has no place in the non-believing community, even the religious leaders of the nation. And yet often when we, with well-meaning thoughts, state, well, if we just know God's word better, then we can ask whatever we will, and we'll have those requests. The reality is, as Jesus made it very clear, don't have time to go there, in John 5 and also in John 8, God's word, the word of Christ, dwells within the sheep of God. And as he said in John 10, his sheep hear his voice, and they know him, and they follow him, and he gives to them eternal life, and they will never perish. But when he talked to the religious leaders, who although they knew God spoke through Moses, although they were individuals who had memorized the Torah, he said of them, my word has no place in you. If you are a child of God and you come to this, this table today, one of the things you can be sure of is that his word, the word of Christ, abides in you. It's what's given you life. It's what's transformed and changed you. Doesn't mean you know all the details of God's word, but the reality is you have a relationship with God. And why do you have it? As he said here, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. It's the work of his grace. And in choosing you for himself, what did he determine, what did he ordain should be true of you as one of his children? Notice what he said in chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. In other words, you should be a fruitful member of the vine. The context of this passage in John 15 is that as Israel was designated as the vine of the Lord in the Old Testament, and in particular, if you want to go back to Isaiah 5, where Isaiah talks about God bringing that vine out of Egypt and planting it in the land of promise and cultivating it and looking for good fruit, but he found worthless fruit. In contrast, Jesus says what? I am the true vine. I'm the genuine vine. And every branch that's in me bears fruit. You know why it does? Because he appointed it that way, verse 16. You know why the branch bears fruit? Because the Father is the vine dresser and he keeps pruning away so you'll bear more fruit. 
This idea of abiding in Christ means that's where you have your dwelling. That's where you have your residence. It's the Greek phrase for your dwelling. In the noun form, it's your home. It's your house. And in the verb form, it's where you are living or residing. And the reality is you and I live in, you and I reside in Christ. You're not in Christ and out of Christ. It is your dwelling. You have been identified with him. Now, one place that I think the translators have made a little bit of a mistake that tends to cause us to misunderstand this verse is, or this passage is in verse 2. My version says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I'm looking at that phrase, in me. And that phrase is found repeatedly in this section. And every time it's used, it's in conjunction with the verb, not the noun. And so in other words, it should be, every branch that does not bear fruit in me, he takes away. And what's the result of being a branch that he takes away? Eternal judgment. He doesn't say that your works are going to be burned up. The branch is burned up. And you have to remember the context. Because here is Christ dealing with the covenant community Israel. And there are individuals who are saying they're identified with Christ. And in John chapter 6, we learned that many of his disciples didn't walk with him anymore. The reality is that there was a disciple who was even in the upper room who had just been dismissed. And that was Judas himself. And every branch that doesn't bear fruit in me, God takes away. And the outcome is verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. He dries up. They gather them. They cast them into the fire. And they are burned. So the point I'm making is, you and I can rejoice in the fact that in God's grace, God has placed us in Christ. And the reality is, we are secure in our identification with him. And because of God's plan and God's providence, he is going to be sure that every one of his children brings forth fruit to his glory. And so you and I can have encouragement when we go to God in prayer. And to know that, as he says here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you have that genuine relationship with him. Ask whatever you will it'll be done for you. Now what does he mean by whatever you will? Whatever you ask in my name as he says later in this passage. For the prayers that we offer that are in keeping with the character of our Savior and God's exaltation of him, we can be certain that we have the requests that are made of him. Some have said, well, but Joe, doesn't it say, verse 4, abide in me? Isn't he telling us it's something we're supposed to do? If you look at verse 4, how many verbs are there? Just one, abide in me. But notice the next word, what is it? And. So the verb abide relates to both the Christian and the Savior. Abide in me and I in you. 
He's not commanding himself to abide in us. He's talking about the reality of identification with him. And what is all of that for us today? Well, we come to the Lord's table. And it's an opportunity for us to remember the greatest of all sacrifices. There is no reason why Christ should call us his friends. We don't become his friends because we're wonderful people. We don't become his friends because we merit it by trying to keep certain commandments. The reality is, if we are one of his children, we will be expressing the love that God has shown to us, even though it is still imperfect. He that loves is born of God, 1 John. If you don't love, you're not of God. You know why? Because God is love. And so he says here, you and I can have great encouragement in prayer to understand that we are helpless apart from ourselves. We can do nothing apart from the Savior. But the beauty is, he helps the helpless, and he provides for us what is necessary. So as we come to this, his table, what I want you to remember today is the fact that God has given us a rich and wonderful blessing, and that is to be called the children of God, to be linked to the Savior as one of the branches that is receiving life from him, and as one of the branches to know that God is going to be glorified in the lives of his children and he is going to bring forth that which honors and glorifies him. For he says, in this is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. Our wonderful Savior laid down his life for us because deliverance from our sin is not something that we could ever obtain that we could ever accomplish. But the beauty is that Christ has accomplished what's essential to deal with the penalty of our sins, so there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And also our alienation from God. He has identified us with himself. He has made us his children. And therefore, he has appointed that we bring forth much fruit that the Father might be glorified. As we gather at his table today and we remember this amazing grace, it is the sacrifice of Christ that has made this available and a reality for us. It is the pledge of the new covenant of what God has done to liberate us from our sin. And he has done it so that because of that relationship we have with him, we can have encouragement as we go to him in prayer. That while we're in this world where we face tribulation, as he said at the end of chapter 15, maybe even hostility and persecution, we can be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And to know that as a member of God's family, God has designed our relationship with Christ so that we experience his joy as we go through the circumstances and the difficulties of life. Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. And as we remember him, we remember that he is the one that accomplishes for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has genuinely set us free from our sin. 
and joined us to himself that God might be glorified in each one of his children. What a great Savior. Let's sing together the hymn. It's in our supplement. Amazing grace. <laughs>